Welcome to Conversations in the Coop. I'm your host, Trinity Director of Athletics, Drew Galbraith. Through the course of the spring and early summer, we've hired five new head coaches at Trinity. In this episode, we hear from the new Director of Track and Field and Cross Country, John Michael Mason. John Michael has a long, uninterrupted association with the program from his time as an athlete at Trinity to being a graduate assistant, an assistant coach, and then head coach of track most recently. Now he takes over management of the entire program from his mentor, George Suter. Take a listen. It's our pleasure to be joined in this episode of Conversations in the Coop by Trinity's new Director of Track and Field and Cross Country, John Michael Mason. Uh, John Michael, a very familiar face to uh, fans of Trinity Athletics, has served in several capacities in the track and field and cross country programs for the past decade. But uh, John Michael, first of all, congratulations and just talk a little bit about the excitement of taking on this new expanded role and, and leading this program going forward. Thank you for having me, Drew. Of course, very excited to, to be here and to be continuing, hopefully, the legacy uh, of the program that I've been fortunate to be a part of for the last 10 years as a coach, and then before that, uh, of course, as a student athlete. Um, it's only gotten you know more competitive in Division Three track and field and more competitive in the conference, uh, and it, it's kind of exciting to take this moment to look back at how it was 10 years ago or even longer ago uh, when I was a student athlete and, and see just how really far along the sport has come in the region and um, how competitive it is in, in an exciting way as a fan. And I think, you know, as coaches, first and foremost, we are fans of, of the sport, of athletics in general. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for, for the future to to forge a, a new path, but really to build off the, the, the path we've been going on and I've been fortunate to be a part of. So growing up as a young person um, and getting into the sport of track and field, when you were in high school as a high school track athlete, um, did you think track was your pathway to playing a sport in college? Was there another sport, or uh, was it that other the doors of other sports got shut off and track became a, a good option for you? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Um, track was not on my radar, at, really at all. Being fast was, <laughs> I knew my sort of main attribute in my other sports that I played. Um, but I, soccer, basketball, uh, and baseball were my sports growing up, and I loved football, but didn't play football, played soccer. Uh, family was happy with that decision, I think, from a, a not getting hurt standpoint. But I didn't move over to, to track until midway through high school. Um, baseball wasn't my best sport, and uh, you know, playing time and things like that wasn't working out with the coach that I had. I loved running the bases, and um, they used somebody else as a pinch runner at one point, and I, I was. I couldn't believe it. And when I went over to track, and they were so welcoming. Um, everyone worked really hard, but it was it, it was totally different environment than what I had been been used to. Not you know for better or worse, but they were very inviting, and I was good at it. I had never really tested how fast I, I was, um, but speed had always been um, you know my sort of selling point in other sports. That said, I continued to play soccer. I continued to play basketball, and um, when it kind of became clear those probably weren't a path. For college athletics, uh, and I started looking at great, mostly great, smaller liberal arts institutions. Um, you know, really track came back into the conversation as maybe this is a path forward. Um, fast forwarding, I often look when I'm talking with prospective students for multi-sport athletes. Again, perhaps maybe selfishly because that's what I was, but uh, they're very coachable. Um, 
they're challenged in different ways. And I'm a big believer in in young people growing up playing as many sports as possible. Um, even though I'm a big proponent of track and field, I don't think folks need to do track camp from you know age 10, play as many sports as, as, as they want to, but hopefully they find their way into track by at some point in high school and, uh, and realize how great an athlete they are in the more sort of, I guess, pure sense of, of that word. So we're just pausing there for a second. Sure. There, there are, we're starting to see um, more track athletes that might have, you know, might be Instagram famous uh, by the time they come out of high school, yeah. um, where they are, they're known nationally because of some unbelievable comeback in a four by one race or something like that. Um, and even some of the some of the athletes that were just recently competing in the U.S. championships mm-hmm. are are known and as 17 and 18 year olds competing um, at an elite world class level. Are you starting to see the the flip side that we've seen in a number of other sports where there are students who are burnt out on track because they've been doing it maybe longer than you know you go back 14 years? What you did was relatively commonplace, right. right? Playing multiple sports, but also participating in track instead of just focusing on track events year round. Yeah, uh, there's a lot there to unpack, but I, where your uh, thought was going, I think, is is the the reality in some respects. Folks do get burnt out when they play just one sport. Um, I think track has always benefited from being usually a second sport for folks, maybe not so much in the distance world, but even then, maybe folks got to it later when they realized they weren't, they weren't, you know, they didn't love soccer so much, but they went over their cross country and realized that they could find success if they just kept running. They were never quote unquote fast, right? In the same uh, respect as running for the ball. So uh, track has been the multi-sport sport for a lot of people. And one of the reasons I like recruiting multi-sport athletes is because I want to avoid that burnout factor. Um, people have kind of this very narrow vision. They want to go to college. It's been the goal, and there's a lot of pressure. And then they get there, and sometimes they realize that, that it's all they've ever thought, but they haven't really reevaluated their passion for the sport. The, the massively successful young people um, on, on social media, I hope, helps this elevate the sport. Um, you know, the World Championships are about to be hosted at the time of us recording this, uh, are being hosted in July in the United States of America for the first time ever, believe it or not, in the, in the sport of track and field uh, at, at, in Eugene. And, you know, we, we need people to tune in, young people to tune in to the, to the sport of track and field if we're going to build a culture of, of uh, athletics, as it's called, you know, in Europe, at, in the United States. That said, I still believe in people playing as many sports as possible growing up and that diversification of athletic stimulus is really, really important. So there's a fine line between I want people to be super passionate about track, but if that actually leads to people kind of having too narrow a training emphasis when they're young, you know, I'm not sure how how that will kind of manifest. Uh, I think you will find more people burnt out if that's the case. And I wonder if there's a little bit of it too that you know, across the entirety of the American sports landscape, uh, Americans have fared very well at the highest levels of track and field, and, and uh, as well as at the highest levels of collegiate track and field, which um, you know, absolutely is the, the primary feeder into national teams and ultimately uh, elite athletic success. So whatever's happening is working because the right people ultimately are ending up um, in the sport of track at a highly competitive level. So, Yeah, and 
you know, it, different parts of the country. It's you know the tech the the high school championships, state championships in Texas are a thing to behold. Um, but even they, you know, even that compared to watching the high school championships in Jamaica isn't even the same. I mean, that that is like going to the Super Bowl, which is awesome. Um, so hopefully we can get that to grow to other parts of the country where it isn't always as warm. Too. Right. <laughs> right. So um, to take us back to you know spring of uh, you know 2012, um, mm-hmm. you know as a as a student wrapping up your career here, uh, the initial foray into coaching and some of the rationale behind that, and um, at that moment um, was. Was it thought of as a lifetime thing? I mean, you're someone with a lot of interests uh, in the world. And so um, what was coaching to you then, and when did that maybe the change take place that this could be a career? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I graduated with uh, a self-designed major, an interdisciplinary major a degree, which is another way to illustrate that I had varied interests and was trying different things. Um, I was a two-year captain for the program, and obviously loved my sport, but was very involved on campus. I came back to be graduate assistant, um, largely because of the master's opportunity to get a master's in American history. And and George Sudre called me and said, "I know you, you know you're young and you graduated recently, but I think you could do a great job in this role, and you get a free degree." So I said, "All right, tell me more." Uh, and he, <laughs> he said, "I don't know much about the degree side. This is who you should talk to." Um, and what, what I learned uh, d- you know, during those first, even the first year, or those first couple of years, is that uh, I've always had a passion for teaching. Uh, when I get excited about something, I like to impart that knowledge or try to have dialogue about that information with other people. And, and as I reflect, I didn't, wasn't maybe conscious of this at the time, but reflecting back on it, I guess I've had an aptitude for uh, that energy being somewhat infectious, being able to get across to people and being someone who likes to study things. Like when I dive into something, I want to study it. Um, so a long way of saying that I've, I've be always viewed, but now can articulate that I view coaching as teaching. And uh, it started as a way to stay involved with the community that I felt passionate about and get a degree and even use my brain a little differently. Most of my time at Trinity was humanities focused and so much of track and field is more science, science-based, kinesiology, biomechanics. So I was getting to use another part of my brain, troubleshooting and developing workouts and, like, during a time when we didn't have the facilities we do now, too. Um, so I think it probably changed. I mean, it changed rapidly, rapidly in the sense that I had an opportunity where George Suter asked me to stay and be the first full-time assistant for the program, and then he went on sabbatical. Um, so I, at a pretty young age, was able to uh, take on the task of being interim head coach you know, in the NESCAC with some very veteran, especially then, very veteran head coaches on the other NESCAC programs. And we were doing pretty well. Um, you know, we were building back up you know, from, from where we had been. Uh, and coming out of that, I think, is probably when I realized, and Coach Hood had been encouraging me all along, that this could be something you could do forever. And I'm not, he himself saying, I'm not looking to do it forever. Um, and, and then it's like, okay, coach could be a, a long-term <laughs> tagline you know, for the rest of my life. Talk a little bit about Coach Suter's impact on you. Uh, you you brought him up just like I know your college coach got to work under him uh, for several years, but just the the impact that he's had on you and maybe the things that you'll most take away from him as mm. as he moves into retirement and you and you take on the director role. Yes, he said. I guess immense would be the word. That's the effect he's had. Um, 
and it, even just in small ways, you start to. He and I both have done a lot of reflecting this, you know, this spring and summer, as he transitions and, and I transition, and and so much of it feels seamless, but at, at the same time, is a big change on, on in, in his end uh, of things to not be officially, you know, tied to anything anymore. Um, but I just spent so much time with them over the last decade. I mean, I probably spent more time with with him than uh, maybe than anybody else uh, over the course of ten years. The biggest takeaway and probably one of the reasons that I did continue into this role of being a coach and a teacher is that for him it was always about life. Um, he and I are both very competitive people, can be stubborn, and, and what we're going after. And uh, But it was still, there was always a sense of not taking yourself too seriously and realizing that we have a bigger mission to accomplish, which is educating young people. Um, and helping them navigate life. Um, we want to win, but that's at the end of the day, we're you know we're a speck in the universe, and we have an, op an obligation, an opportunity to really uh, help young people along the way. But also, from Coach Suter's standpoint, not hold their hand. Um, you know, try and guide them, be there for them, but also empower them to figure out the difficult things themselves too. And he, he walked that line. You know, from my vantage point, very well. He had decades of experience before I even start coaching with him. Um, but yeah, life teaching about life through sport, track, and field, and owning up to your mistakes. He's someone who never hesitated uh, to give his opinion. But then, if he realized or thought that it was the wrong one, after upon reflection, he was the first to admit. You know that he changed his mind, or if he screwed up, he'd always, you know, admit it. And that might be something that we. You know, those listening think, oh yeah, you know, that's what we all should do or all do. But it's harder in practice. We have a, a, an increasingly defensive, you know, culture writ large. Um, and Coach Suter is always very big on, you know, you own up to your mistakes. And if someone's upset with you, but you value their opinion, there must be a reason they're upset with you. So trying to reflect on that. So again, those are these are all life lessons that we try to impart on on these students. And I think that's why we worked well together because we were united in that vision of what we were trying to accomplish. So as you step into this new role, obviously uh, one one challenge will be overseeing staff, um, and all of those decisions are yours. You're not sharing the decisions uh, with Coach Suter like you were for the past few years. Um, you don't have the challenge of getting to know you know three-quarters of the team. Other than the first-year students who you've recruited, you know everyone in the program. So what are the big challenges yeah. um, in year one uh, under your leadership? I think you know exactly what you just mentioned. It's having a new staff. That's the the challenge and the exciting thing, um, the most exciting thing. And but it's just new. Uh, we're going to have two new assistants uh, on the team, and it's an opportunity to kind of continue to forge the culture in the way I've I've been working towards. Coach Suter has given me all the leeway and reign to do that for the whole program. But um, at the same time, he's still there, and if he ever was giving his advice, it carried a lot of weight and. If, we were on the same page, God forbid. Right now, it's you know really it's people who are hopefully uh, giving their input and feeling safe and open to do that and be very frank with me about their thoughts, um, but reinforce the culture that I believe the team really does have with within the coaching staff and try and make it feel even more synergistic. That's a word. We'll make it a word today. <laughs> How about that? Um, appreciate that. So that, I think that, yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge. Um, coaching cross-country without George is something that I haven't done. When he was on sabbatical, uh, he left basically right after the end of the cross-country season and was still around, obviously. Uh, you know, we were communicating often, but 
you know, that's the sport that he put most of his emphasis on, especially as I took more and more responsibility. Um, so I'm excited for that, but it will be, uh, it will be different. We're not going to host a home meet this year because of just some of the transitions in our we have a great home course, but it's very difficult. The team itself, when I told them we weren't hosting, actually looked relieved because they know <laughs> how hard the course is. Um, so, but for the most part, the fall will, will be following a similar schedule, and it's just going to be exciting to to see how the team progresses. It's a young team on the women's side. It's a relatively young team on the men's side, too, and they've shown a lot of success. So there's big goals there um, that we've been working towards for multiple years, and sort of reminding them that those goals haven't changed. You know, we're still still the same people working towards the same goal. As you think about uh, the young people that you're recruiting to come to Trinity, um, the you know, next fall and then successive falls, um, what do you think the, the kind of the greatest trait of our institution, the greatest trait of our community is to help students? Obviously, team culture plays a massive role uh, for recruited student athletes, but what are the things beyond that that you think attract students most to Trinity? The, one of the first things that I think of in terms of attracting great students and great student athletes to Trinity is our campus, um, and that's not just that it's beautiful, which it is, uh, and it is it you know subconsciously or consciously a big part of someone's decision is is being feeling comfortable and awed by the campus, but uh, it's unique. Um, Trinity is very much that New England liberal arts kind of magazine cover college when you look at the long walk and the quad. And yet, you have all the resources of the, a capital city in New England, you know, in the Northeast, a very populous and vibrant area of the country in terms of the, the economy and all the opportunities that exist. And I've never, in all the traveling I've done as a coach or just in general, come across a campus that quite feels like Trinity's does. Every campus is unique, obviously, but um, the similarities between, especially even some of our peer institutions that we compete with, you know, they're more closely aligned and feel more similarly than Trinity does. Uh, I think it's a really rare opportunity to to have a campus feel and have a city to engage with, whether it be culturally or for the educational opportunities. And it, I think it all lends itself to athletics because everything is on the campus. It's not hidden in the woods or, you know, you have to go drive down the road. Like, it's all right there. Um, and that, I think, reinforces the athletic culture on campus. It feels like the student body cares about athletics, um, wants teams to succeed, wants to support their teammates, their roommates. Um, so there's a, an energy that doesn't exist at all D3 schools or even D1 programs. So that kind of like, just the atmosphere, but the atmosphere isn't just the team, which you know I feel passionate about our team, but Trinity overall, I think, uh, naturally is a great fit for creating an athletic atmosphere. And our students want to, you know, they want to take their sport seriously as much as they care about the classroom. It's a huge part of their identity, which maybe wasn't the case as much with as many students 15 years ago as it is now. Uh, last question. You've been uh, as involved, if not more involved, in the in the greater Hartford community um, than a, than a lot of staff members I know. Um, so what what would you say to maybe a, a classmate who hasn't been back to Trinity in mm -hmm. 10 years? Like what, what what's the place in, in the community that you've been most excited to see grow or you've been a part of helping to grow uh, over the past uh, several years? Because it yeah. certainly feels uh, like there's a very positive vibe in the city now and, and one that people should be open to experiencing. Yeah, no, I agree. I appreciate that, uh, that question. Um, 
first of all, the pandemic obviously put a little bit of slowdown on some things that, <laughs> that, were, that were moving forward, I think. Uh, but I, I feel it rebounding. I mean, I live right downtown, and uh, I've lived near Trinity, you know, for, for all my time here, so nothing's far. Uh, but the Parfum neighborhood nearby is, is really coming to life and has been. I mean, it, it's just been continuing over the last 10 years. Uh, things like seeing the Argo Stadium go up and, and Dillon Stadium, which is now Trinity Health Stadium, mm-hmm. come back to life with Harford Athletic. Uh, there's just obviously, uh, for anyone in Connecticut or anywhere around the country, there's more and more breweries uh, to be enjoyed by our, our staff and, and faculty and some of our athletes out of season, perhaps. Um, there's just more of a sense, I hope, and what I've been passionate about of identity of feeling like Hartford and Greater Hartford is a place to call home, um, of even of Connecticut identity. It's a state that has so much going on, but people are kind of very, like, they say I'm from Glastonbury, they don't say I'm from Hartford. That's been something that I've tried to explore with other friends and even business partners in, in the city of Hartford, of like, what can be something that we all can get around and feel like we're proud to be from Hartford, and what events can we bring to Hartford, where it's not like this is just cool because it's nearby, People are traveling from out of state to come to this event that's happening in Hartford. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely feel like there's a lot of energy with that. I have some, you know, Trinity friends who live in, in the city now uh, from my time, and they're involved in trying to to build the infrastructure uh, culturally. So I think think it's becoming more and more a place to live, work, and play. And um, maybe those who graduated ten years ago, like you said, uh, or, or or more, that were my classmates don't realize what exists here. I think it's a great college town. I mean, you have everything you need on campus at Trinity, uh, which is you know, part of what we promise the students, and it's totally true, but there is so much to explore, and more, I think more than there was when I was a student. John Michael, can't wait to see what you do with the program, and best of luck this fall. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That will do it for this conversation in the coop. Thanks to John Michael for his time, and we wish him best of luck in this new role. For the latest Trinity Athletics news, scores, and schedules, go to bantamsports.com and follow us on social media at Bantam Sports. Until next time.